G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. And in this episode, we continue to look at the overwhelming holiness of God and how this should affect the way we approach Him, as well as the way we live. We are saved by grace, but Pastor Jeff says that's not a license to live however we want. So let's get into the rest of this message now. If you need to hear any of this again, just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. For now, here's Pastor Jeff. This passage, something happens that helps me understand more of what's happening in our world. And this is where we do our exposition. Here's what it says in Exodus 19, verse 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says, I brought you out by grace on the wings of eagles. You didn't do anything. I did it for you. Now, since I delivered you, here is what you will do. You will be my treasure. You will be a kingdom of priests and you will be a holy nation. Almost as if to say, if you were truly carried out on the wings of grace, these are the type of people that you'll become. Okay, let's do some exposition. First, you'll be a treasure. This Hebrew word is the is a word for something that is beyond the personal wealth of a king. In those days, kings were absolute monarchs, which means that everything in the kingdom really belonged to them. They owned it all. They could have it all at any point. They could actually say, hey, I want to borrow your wife for a few months. It's that bad. Kings owned everything. But this word is about the personal private wealth of a king, the treasures that would be kept in a very secret place that were so loved and valued by the king that he would often go into his personal private room to adore his treasure. You with me? God has the audacity to say, when you obey me, you will become my treasured possession. 
You already belong to me because I've saved you by grace. You're already in the kingdom. But when you obey me, you reveal yourself to be my treasure, my personal possession. Now, what does that mean? That's a little bit hard to understand, isn't it? Not really. When I fell in love with Robin, I did some crazy things. I talked to her friends and I said, what does Robin really like? What delights her? What pleases her? What makes her happy? What does she enjoy? And all her friends said, well, you, Jeff, she loves you. She enjoys you. And I said, I know that. Other than me, what is it? Well, that's what you do when you fall in love, right? You try to find out what pleases the other person, what really makes them happy if you're truly in love. And then you try to surprise them by giving that thing to them. That's what we guys do. Remember? You've heard me say this. We, we make you think we're somebody we're not until after the marriage. <laughs> and so that's what we do. But the reality is that we do it because we do love you. We have fallen in love. Now, sometimes we're not so good at it. I know most of you know the story of the year that I gave Robin Nutrisystem for Christmas. I know you know that. But in my defense, once again, my motivation was pure. She kept saying all year long, I look fat, I look fat. I kept saying, honey, you look fantastic. But I got tired of hearing it, so I thought I would help her. It didn't work out so well, as you can imagine. But I was just stupid. And there's no cure for stupid. But my motivation was pure. It's like giving somebody a diet book and a Dale Carnegie book for Christmas, you know? Well, I am fat and stupid, but thank you for the presents. But other times I've excelled at this. Other times I've been really good at flowers, roses, candy. One time I even gave her diamonds. Now I had won them at a golf tournament, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. I wasn't going to wear them. I found out that Robin really enjoys when I invite her parents when we go on my study break every year. So every year I invite her mom and dad to go on study break. I'm not sure I really want them to come. No, I do want them to come. But what really matters is she treasures that. So when I found out that that speaks volumes to her about how much I love her, man, every year, boom, boom, boom. When you do that, I guess you could say that I am deliberately seeking the will of my beloved. I want to live in a way that delights and pleases her because I love her. Not to mention I'm terrified. No, that's another sermon. No, I do love her. (laughs) You know, am I making sense on this? This is a hard one to communicate. Robin married me, not because she thought I was perfect, but because she thought she could change me, right? I mean, to a degree, I mean, come on, we guys have our weaknesses, so do you. But ultimately, she married me out of sheer grace and mercy. All right, she's attracted to me, but no woman looks at a man and says, he's perfect. No, she may say that, but she knows, oh, he's got some rough edges, but I'll fix him. <laughs> she marries for, for grace and acceptance, adoration, love. And then we fall in love, and now comes the obedience to the will of the one we love in order to please or delight her. And so God says, I brought you out on eagle's wings. That's grace. My heart knows none before thee, for thy grace I thirst, this knowing that if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. He loved us first. And now that's the gospel. The gospel is you're accepted, therefore you obey, not the other way around. You don't obey in order to get accepted. He already accepted you based on grace. But you still obey, but it's a different motivation. You obey because you love. 
My heart knows none before thee, for thy grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, it must have been, thou love me first. Let me give you a way how this works out practically. Then we want to hit this thing hard at the end. This past week, I heard that there was another New Zealand comedy that just came out on Netflix. Okay? And I, I, I lived in New Zealand for 10 years, so I know that I'll understand a lot of the comedy between the Maoris and the Kiwis. And I started watching it, and it was hilarious. But about three or four minutes, it started to get very vulgar. I mean, vulgar. Now, at that point, I had a decision to make. Now, remember what I told you before. I only tell you my success stories. (laughs) Don't put me up on that pedestal. I have two choices. At that moment, I could feel it. Do I keep watching? Because God is a God of grace. He gets me. Or do I stop watching? Because if I do the right thing, maybe God will reward me. And the answer is none. Neither. I do stop watching, but I do so for two reasons. Number one, for fear of the discipline of God, because I am not putting my mind on the higher things. But I also do it for love, because I know that my decision to reject it will delight the heart of the Father, and to keep watching would break his heart. It's not one or the other. It's both. Do you care if you break the Father's heart? Does it sadden you to wound the heart of the Father? Or is the truth that you don't really value God's precepts because you don't treasure God? And you've never really understood the gospel. And you really have little to no concern about what pleases or delights the heart of the Father. All you care about is skimming by by the skin of your teeth as long as you can just get into the promised land. And let me just tell you, if you can violate the precepts of God without conviction or some sense of shame, I'm not saying that we're perfect, we're all going to fail, but at least we're trying. And if there's no effort or cavalier attitude toward holiness and sin, then it's because you have not understood the gospel yet. Every faith system falls into one of three categories. Legalism, which is the primary world religions. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and maybe God will accept you. And then you have the gospel. God accepts you. He rescues you first, and you obey to delight the heart of the Father. Or there is what we call antinomianism. And here's what I've learned about our world today. More fall into that category than any other. Antinomianism says basically you don't really have to obey at all because there is no God. And if there is a God, he would accept you just as you are. You don't have to try to be good. Therefore, if you're still saying things like, God understands me. He knows why I'm like this. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm a good person to the best of my ability. Everybody sins. It's just life. Nobody's perfect. If you're still saying things, thinking things, doing things like that, God is not your treasure. You've not yet understood the gospel. If you come to a crossroads and you can violate the law of God without shame or guilt or with minimal guilt, then you have never truly understood that this is not religion and your heart has never been melted by Jesus. Because if it did, your motivation would be to obey. You would have failures. You're never going to be perfect, but you would be saddened by your failures because you know you break the heart of God. Stay with me. I'll tell you this and I'll skip to the end. I have to. A couple years ago, I was playing golf with a friend of mine who's trying to make it on the tour. We're out in the desert. 
what really got me about this is both he and his father really talk a good game. Have you ever been around somebody? Now, you ever been around anybody that says, just bless the Lord all day? Bless the Lord. Oh, God is good, holy. Oh, God is good. And I don't mind. I mean, that's okay. I mean, good for you. Well, that's what they're like. God is good. God is good. God is, oh, you're so holy. He is so good just all day. I think, you know, when I make a putt, I go, yeah, me. You know, they say, God is good. Maybe I should learn from them. No, but I, my feeling is God has no interest in my golf game. He's shown that for years. <laughs> so we're standing on the tee, getting ready to hit. And I said, look, I want to talk to you while we've got some time here. I said, are, are you sleeping with your girlfriend? He said, yes. I said, and it just kind of, I thought, why? I said, do you, do you have any shame or guilt at all? He said, yeah, a little bit. I said, enough to stop? He said, no. And then he put his ball on the tee, and he proceeded to shank his tee shot. Okay, anybody who knows anything about golf knows good players don't do that. He was visibly disturbed. But why wasn't he disturbed long before that? I'm trying to get my head around. It's not perfection that, that we're after here. Well, we do chase it. And God is filled with grace, but when there's no effort or a cavalier attitude, man, you know what you're doing? You're running up the mountain, and God tells you, you better stay back. And you better take me seriously. Because one day, everybody stands before God. Everybody. God says, to bring joy and happiness to the heart of the Father is to seek to obey the Father, is to love the lover of your soul. That's the gospel. Now, he not only says that we're his treasure, he says you're going to be a holy nation. But if God's people pursue holiness, then there's going to be a separation between them and the rest of the world. And there's going to be such a separation that the rest of the world is either going to hate them or be compelled toward them. I just got back from Tennessee where I did the funeral of my high school basketball coach's son. And it was a pretty trying time, but I had a couple of days and I just retraced my steps on this hill that we used to run and the track. You know, he, he was a crazy coach. But I remember I spent most every day of my life from the time I was a freshman to a senior in high school from 3.30 to 9.30 at night in the gym. 3.30 to 9.30 at night in the gym. I worked hard. But I have never worked that hard at my holiness in pursuing God. Why? Because I loved basketball, but I'm not sure I've always loved God. But God says, you love me. You're going to seek to please the heart of the Father, and nothing pleases the heart of Father more than your pursuit of holiness and shunning what is bad. And then finally, I got to end. He says, you'll be a kingdom of priests. Now, this is where it gets really good. What does a priest do? Come on. What does a priest do? Helps people far from God come near to God, right? It takes people by the hand. He kind of serves as what? The mediator. A priest serves as the mediator between God and man, the go-between. It's that whole thing of cause and effect again, which, it, which has always amazed me. Why is it so hard for us to share our faith in Christ with the world? You know, it ought, you know, it ought not to be hard. I don't have great difficulty talking about golf. No difficulty at all. I don't have difficulty talking about my wife. I don't have difficulty talking about the Dodgers. It just kind of comes out. 
And that's the reason we have a hard time is because you're trying to convert people. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is just to tell people the difference Jesus has made in your life. Boom. But has he made a difference in your life? Only if there's distinction. Some of us are afraid to open our mouths because we don't want people to know we're a Christ follower because there's no distinction in us. And we're afraid we'll embarrass the name of Jesus. You never know what your words mean. Man, you never know. I went back to do the funeral. Keith Turner, one of the best basketball players ever to play at our high school, walked in. We hadn't seen each other for 30 years. I looked great. He didn't look so good. (laughs) No. Great basketball player, full scholarship to Tennessee Tech. He's now the principal of our arch rivals. He's done really well for for himself. We hugged. We were teammates. 30 years. We hugged. He left. And about 10 minutes later, he sent me a text. I got to read it to you. He said, Jeff, so good to see you tonight. I want you to know that I have always looked up to you and admired you for standing up for your Christian faith. When we were at team camp that summer and some of our teammates were making fun of you and how you handled that has stuck with me my entire life. And Keith is a Christ follower. Now, did I tell you that so you would applaud me? No. Why should I be applauded? It's like applauding me for talking about how much I love Robin or applauding me for talking about how much I love God. These are things that just flow out of me. Here's the real beauty of this entire narrative. Stay with me. This is the end. God is obviously terrifying on the mountain, but he keeps showing up in fire and in a cloud. I mean, God is clearly impossible to bear, yet he keeps showing up in this cloud. Why? If he's so holy and he wants, he needs to stay away, why does he keep showing up? And why in a cloud? Because he is shrouding, not abandoning or diminishing his glory. Why is he doing that? To accommodate himself to his people so that he can reside among the people without destroying them. He has to, there has to be a go-between. There has to be something in between us and him. So there is a cloud. And by coming to them in the cloud, he's saying, you know what? I want you in my life. The God of the universe, I want you in my life. But you got a problem. You're a sinner and you can't live in the presence of God. But God says, I still want you. You know, I love the phrase, it's hard to hug a porcupine. I love that. And God basically says to us, I want to love you, but you're prickly. So we need to have something between us, a go-between. I need to make you lovable. What's the answer? We need a mediator. Don't you understand when he says to Moses, go down, Moses, warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. He said, Moses, go down. Go down the mountain. I want you to be the go-between because if they come up here, they're going to die. But if you go down and tell them they can't just waltz into my presence, that they are defiled people, they are unclean lips or have unclean lips and unclean hearts, then you go down and warn them, you can be the mediator between us. So the man on the mountain goes down. He's the go-between, the one who keeps the people from perishing. Now watch this now. Then you go back over to Hebrews that explains this event. And in Hebrews 12, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to God, the judge of all, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, how does, wait a minute, how does Jesus' blood speak a better word than the blood of Abel? Well, when Cain killed Abel, the first act of overt human injustice, God comes to Cain and he says, what have you done? The blood of your brother cries out from the ground. In other words, the blood of your brother cries out for vengeance. 
But the Hebrew writer has the audacity to say that Moses was a mediator to keep the people from being destroyed by God, but there's a greater mediator than Moses, Jesus, the ultimate mediator. So that when Jesus died, his blood cries out too, but it cries out for acceptance. Cain says, avenge my blood, or Abel's blood, but rather says, avenge my blood. Jesus says, forgive them. His blood cries out after the cross, in the grave, through the resurrection. They said, away with him, away with him. Jesus cried, bring them in, bring them in. They've sinned, but my blood covers their sin. I've paid their penalty. Do you realize what was going on in the cross? Darkness falls over the land. And at that moment, the Bible says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The earth shook, the rock split. What was the veil? It was the Old Testament cloud, the go-between, something to keep you from the Shekinah glory of God that would destroy you. But when Jesus died, the bell was torn in two. When you realize what's being communicated here, it's, it's really awesome. Because what the Bible's trying to tell you now is guess where God re- lives? Guess where he resides now? In you. So think about this for We've made this false distinction. What if you walked here on the weekend, you walked in and we decided to show 50 shades of gray on the screen instead of the sermon? <laughs> but you watched it at home. Some of you. What would you think if you, what would you think? You'd get pretty angry what you say. That's sacrilege, man. This is the house of God. What if we open a casino here after church on Saturdays? Just big casino right here. Everybody got to gamble. <laughs> Stupid tax. What would you think? What, what if we put little Buddhas and little Hindu temples all around, what would you do? What if we stopped praying and every weekend we concentrated on how to make more money and get more things? Don't you see? You're the temple now. God has made you his dwelling place. And the real question is, do any of these things happen in you? (laughs) See, when you both fear and love God, the automatic effect is this. The automatic effect is that you desire to be holy You're not perfect in it, but you you strive. And your heart is to please and delight the heart of the Father. There's so much more. So much more. God is not the God that many of us have created in our mind. He's not the God that we've created in our image. And he's probably not the God our mommy and daddy told us. Probably not. Not always. And he's probably not the God you wish he was. He's much more than you ever thought about. He's more holy than you ever imagined, and he's more loving than you ever imagined, but he's both. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what are you trying to tell me? Well, the rest of that statement is safe. Who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. What are you trying to tell me? Here's your action point. Go out of here and start obeying. And do it because you fear and respect God. Because he is not mocked. A man will reap or a woman will reap what he or she sows. And second, my goodness, ask yourself the question, do you love God? Because if you do, you will try your best to do what pleases the heart of your lover. That's your action point. Father, I thank you and I praise you for a a powerful narrative in the Old Testament. And I pray our eyes would have been open right now that something special would happen. I pray that those of us who have a cavalier attitude towards something the Spirit of God is convicting us about, that suddenly a fear would overcome us of approaching the mountain. But a love would also 
overwhelm us. The deep down inside, we would ask the question, do we truly want to delight the heart of the Father? And if we do, that we would, and we would live that way. Father, we're not suggesting for a moment that any of us are perfect, but man, we really want to be. You've told us, be holy for I am holy. And then you've made your temple, your tabernacle inside us so that we would have more knowledge and wisdom and understanding than any of the people in the Old Testament. The veil has been torn. God has come near Help us to live distinct lives that we might be priests, that we might be your treasure, we might be the kingdom that is different than any other kingdom in the world. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.